All right. We'll be in 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll read verse 1, and we're not even going to get through verse 1. Like I had mentioned earlier today as we ended our first service, was that my plan with this is going to be able to show that uh, the consistency of behavior of false prophets and apostates and, and, and her- her- heretics, how they are consistent in the Old Testament, how they're consistent in the New Testament, and how they're consistent today. So we're going to spend the whole night tonight looking um, at some verses and some texts on false prophets of the Old Testament. And if you didn't know we were in the Old Testament and you were just looking at some of the things that they were doing, why they were doing some of the things they were doing, the intentions of their heart, you would maybe get confused and say, that sounds like today. Because this doesn't change. And I want to just drive this home. We're going to spend a little bit more time on chapter 2 than uh, maybe other chapters because it is so important. One of the greatest dangers of the church today is what is mentioned in this chapter. These people come and they're the wolves in sheep's clothing. They're the ones who destroy and they lead astray and they do harm. And, and uh, we have to be prepared as the church. And next week when we gather, Paul will tell the Ephesian elders that. Listen, when I leave, there's going to be wolves that come. We're going to try to destroy the church to which Christ has bought. And that's the same today, and that's why it's so important. So we're going to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament today, um, which is okay, because what do we learn today? The prophetic word made sure. It was inspired by God. It is the word of God. So is the New Testament, which we have in our hands. So let's read verse 1. It says, But false prophets also arose among the people. Just as there will also be false prophets or false teachers, excuse me, among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Let's pray. Father, I pray for help. Lord, this matter is serious. This matter is one that we as Christians should be ready to receive. Or there's a warning that you give, not only to these people that Peter is writing to, but to us as well. Because this threat, this danger, is present in our lives today. And Lord, it is a, a danger that is striking at the heart to try to inflict and to discourage and to harm true believers. So, Father, please open our ears and our eyes tonight to this and let us have more resolve in our lives to learn your word, to be ready to defend your word at all costs. We pray for this word to become real in our hearts, in our lives tonight. We thank you that your word is perfect and flawless and it is the light and to our feet. Help us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. If you remember, the first epistle that Peter had written, it had a theme. You remember that theme? There were exiles. This world was not our home. Remember that? And that we have an inheritance that's being guarded for us, and that trials are going to come, 
Hardships are going to come. Slander is going to come. Persecution is going to come. However, Christ is our example in that. And he tells us that the reason that these things come, these trials come, is because he is purifying our faith. And he's guarding us in the middle of them. And that's, that's what he's telling the exiles in, in 1 Peter, is that, listen, you are not in your home. Things are coming. They're going to get tough. They're going to get hard. They're going to get difficult. But that's not out of my control. That's in my control. It's coming for a reason. You're not home. Keep persevering until you get home. And the major theme that we see in 2 Peter, and he's writing to the same people, is this threat of false prophets, false teachers, apostates, and heretics. That's what he spends chapter 2 on. We're going to spend a little bit of that in chapter 3. But look how he's laid out this letter so far under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Look how Paul, or Peter starts this letter. He says in 2 Peter, look how it all leads to where we're at. It says you've received this faith by the divine power of God. You've been changed. You've been regenerated. You have gotten precious promises. You've escaped this world, this darkness, and the lust thereof. And then what did we talk about last time we met on Easter? Take all diligence to grow in godliness, to grow in self-control, in knowledge. And he, he says to grow in brotherly kindness and love and to increase in these things. And one of those things he mentions is knowledge. And then he tells us to be all the more sure, be all the more diligent to confirm his calling and his election upon you so you won't stumble. You see what he's doing? He's preparing the believers that he's writing to to be sound in the word, to be diligent in their growth, to be diligent in their studies. And then he leads what he did into today's sermon when he says this, that the word of God, the Old Testament has been made sure by the coming of Christ. It is the word of God the authors that we, uh, we ascribe the, the credit to is, you know, Peter is the author of this epistle. Well, he is in the human form. He did write it down. But the author is God. You see, this is all building to say, be more diligent. Don't stumble. Grow in knowledge. Keep doing these things. Even though you've heard them before, stay in them. Because we live in a dark world. And we talked about that today. We have a lamp and to our feet that is to guard us and to guide us in this dark world. That's why he, he just got through mentioning this word of truth, this word of life, that we can hold our hope in, which is the word of God, as God carried these men in the Old Testament and New Testament along. And one of the things, one of the darknesses in this world, one of the, the threats in this world that, that they faced in this epistle and what we face today is an attack on the Word of God. That's why Peter has written under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to this point. The last verse we read today, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved, along, moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. And look how verse 1 of chapter 2 starts. But, here comes the contrast. You see, he spent this whole time saying, this is the root of what's the, the gospel is and what the foundation of your hope is. It's the word of God. It's, unf it's, it's without error. It's infallible. That's truth. That's life. That's hope. But here comes the opposite of that. The words of the false prophets. They're going to sound good. They're going to sound biblical. 
They're going to sound churchy. They're going to be very convincing. They're going to be great speakers. They're going to be able to, to command an audience. But you test their words against one thing. The Word of God. He's already made the comparison. This is the Word of God. It's truth. It's inspired by God. They're God's words, but... But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So this is how this verse divides. But false prophets also arose among the people. Old Testament. And then he's going to say, just as there will also be false teachers among you. So tonight we're going to go back to there arose among the people. And we're going to look in the Old Testament to see this. This should... Perk every Christian's ears up, because this is the battle we are all in. Whether we like it or not, whether it feels good to us or not, the Bible says that this is happening, these people will come, and the only defense we have is in the Word of God. That's it. That's our truth. That's our source. That's where we run to. So let's go back now to the book of Jeremiah. Starting in chapter 1, I just want to draw your attention to that book. In Jeremiah chapter 1, we're just going to work through this a little bit, catch you up to date on a little bit of what Jeremiah is about. And Jeremiah is one of the books in the Old Testament that gives us so many different sections of text about false prophets that we can see clearly. But hold your finger there and look at your page, if you will. Because I have Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 through 14, on your paper. And I want you to think about the false teachers and the false preachers and the the people that we see that are front and center in our eyes today, that proclaim the truth, that proclaim to be teachers. And I want you to think about what uh, P, or Paul will tell Timothy in that last letter that he's going to write that there will be a time where people will turn away from the truth and they will gather teachers around them to what? Tell them what their ears want to hear. Tickle their ears. They want to hear something good. That's what Paul is telling Peter in the New Testament. Now we go back to Isaiah. Listen to this. Tell me if it doesn't ring true then, in Peter's time, and then today. Look what Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9 through 14 says. For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Sound familiar today? How many years ago was Isaiah written? Thousands of years ago. And the things that they do and the things that they want to hear and the things that the false professing teachers and prophets say, they're the same. No one wants to hear the truth anymore. No one wants to hear things that make them uncomfortable anymore. No one preaches a message of conviction, sin, judgment, wrath. You do that, you won't have very many people in your crowd. They don't want to hear that. Paul says it's going to happen. Peter says it's going to happen. And here we see this in Isaiah saying they don't want to hear anything that is right. They want to hear things that are pleasant. Let's fast forward to today. 
What does the prosperity gospel tell you? Oh, come to Christ and all your bills will be paid for. Oh, all those health concerns that you did have, gone. Oh, you'll be the best businessman you can imagine. Your family will prosper like you've never seen it. No more hard times. Oh, everything you could possibly want. Just come to Christ. That sound familiar today? Same thing you're seeing in Isaiah chapter 30. Don't tell us the truth. We can't handle the truth, right? But tell us the things that make us feel good. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Turn on one of these shows, one of these sermons, and you'd be hard-pressed to hear about the Son of God. His deity, His righteousness, because the main star and the main focus on these sermons and these teachers are what? The people. Nothing new under the sun. This is what Peter's saying. They arose in the Old Testament. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, since you have rejected this word and have put your trust in oppression and guile and have relied on them, therefore this iniquity will be to you like a breach about to fall, a bulge in a high wall whose collapse comes suddenly in an instant, whose collapse is like the smashing of a potter's jar, so so ruthlessly shattered like a shirt will not found among its pieces to take fire from a hearth or to scoop water from a cistern. There's destruction for this. And don't overlook that it was the potter and his jar and smashing. I ask you, does the potter have the freedom to do what he wants with his clay? Yes, he does. And if that's smash it into a thousand pieces for disobedience, then that's what he's able to do. But do you see what the feel of this text is? Don't tell us the truth. Don't tell us things that we don't like. Tell us things that are pleasant. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Jeremiah. If you've ever read Jeremiah, a summary of Jeremiah is this, is that Jeremiah was a prophet who God had called before he was even born. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. He's really sent by God. Jeremiah is a prophet truly sent by God. And he says that I've appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth. Because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. This is the words of God. This is coming from God. He is a prophet of God. And everything that Jeremiah will say will come to pass. Just like Isaiah, just like all the other prophets, they will come to pass. So what you see is this contrasting going on. A true prophet of God who's given the words of God. And then you're going to see his message is met with opposition. Because what is his message? His message is very clear. Repent, turn from your wickedness, or 
there will be great destruction on this city. Speaking of Jerusalem, if you don't repent, the enemy is going to come in and you're going to be de devastated. You're going to be wiped out. You're going to go into exile. Now, is that a popular message? You better repent. You're not living godly. Repent, turn, believe, or wrath will come. That was his message. And it did not get met very well. If you read this, that Jeremiah, he was a weeping prophet. He, he, he cared and he had concern about his people and their lack of repentance. He was declaring this. The Lord says you better repent or there will be wrath. There will be judgment. There will be exile. The temple will fall. He cared about the people. People didn't care much for him. He ended up in stocks. He was very discouraged along the way because everywhere and everything he said was met with opposition. Now, we haven't met to that level of persecution, but sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Where everything we stand for, everything we do, let's start tomorrow off and better believe it, we'll be met with opposition. And if we don't meet, get met with it on Monday, don't worry, Tuesday's coming, we'll get met with it there. This is what Jeremiah is facing on a different scale of magnitude. And the people didn't like it. How dare you? Are you kidding me? Me repent? And here comes the false prophets. Here they come. They were the ones who claimed to be Christians. They were not. These false prophets who do this are apostates. They are the ones who profess Christianity but are not because at the end of chapter 2 in 2 Peter, we're going to find that they have judgment reserved for them. And it is not good. We'll read next week that even, maybe next week, the week after, that if he didn't spare the angels, he's not going to spare these human beings that openly defy the word of God. It's a serious thing. And here comes the false prophets. In Jeremiah chapter 7, we see that they are, um, I don't have this on your sheet, but we can see that they are hiding behind the, the safety of the temple. They are living ungodly. They are, they are doing things that are abomination to God. They are, they are bringing rebuke upon themselves, these leaders and these people. But then it, it, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 4, it says, don't trust in deceptive words saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What they were doing is they would live like they wanted to, and then they would come to the temple and say, hey, listen, but we're here. We're in the temple. We're in the holy place of God. How can it be an unsafe place? And you'll see that so many false messages get preached behind a pulpit every Sunday. They hide behind the shelter of this is the temple of the Lord. And the message goes out and it says, listen, you think you're safe because you stand in the temple of the Lord? He says, go look at Shiloh. Shiloh was a place of great significance in the Old Testament. Shiloh was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was housed. It was the place of central worship before it got moved into Jerusalem. If you remember the type and shadow of the cows and the Christ, that they went into battle and they lost, and then they said, well, if we have the Ark of the Covenant, we wouldn't lose this battle. And they went to Shiloh and they grabbed the Ark of the Covenant, and then we know that it was taken. That was the place where the presence of God was. And he says, go look at Shiloh if you think you're safe. And Shiloh had been desecrated. It had been laid to waste. And he says, it's going to be the same for you if you don't repent and adhere to the word of God. That's the message of a true prophet. 
which is sometimes harsh, which is sometimes we don't like it, but it is repentance and seeking God and obedience and godliness. And here comes the false prophets. They're coming. Chapter 8, one of the verses I want to just highlight to you really briefly is that Jeremiah is saying there's not going to be peace unless you repent. And look at what one of the messages was of the false prophets at this time. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11, it says, They heal the brokenness of the daughter of my people superficially, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. That's what Isaiah 30 said. Don't tell me things I don't want to hear. Don't tell me things that are unpleasant. Tell me the good things. And these prophets were coming behind Jeremiah and saying, Listen, this guy's crazy. Do you know God? The God that we say exists, he's a God of peace. How could he ever bring destruction? He's a God of love. How could he ever pour out his wrath? We still hear that today, don't we? Because they don't know who God is. This Jeremiah guy's crazy. God is peace, so therefore it's only going to be peace. God would never do this. God is love. He wouldn't put out wrath upon you as people. Why would he do that? This is Israel. This is Judah. Don't listen to him. Keep doing what you're doing. It's okay. Prosperity's coming. Peace is coming. And he says that you say it superficially, but there is no peace. And then we go to Jeremiah chapter 14. And we see that in verse 13, there's a heading over, if you're in the NASB, it says false prophets. I encourage you to read Jeremiah. It's a great, great book. Who's the author of Jeremiah? Anybody know? Trick question, huh? Behind it all, the author is God himself. Let's read just a few verses here from 13 down, just so you can get a feel of it. But, ah, Lord God, I said, look, the prophets are telling them, you shall, we will not see the sword, nor will you have famine, but I will give you lasting peace in this place. There's the opposite message. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. Tell me the good things. Then the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying falsehood in my name. Let us not overlook that specific phrase. These people that are attacking the churches, that are the wolves in sheep's clothing, they are going to claim it in the name of the Lord. They're not going to get up there and say, hey, listen, I'm standing behind a pulpit today, and this word comes from Satan. That's not what they do. And we must be careful that anyone that says, well, this is what the Lord told me, this is what the Lord says, I'm speaking on behalf of the Lord. That's not always the case. That's why we're to go to the Scripture as our authority. Don't overlook that. And don't be deceived. Well, they're claiming that they're a Christian. They're claiming they're on speaking the Word of God. If it doesn't match the Word of God, then they're not. This deception. Again, that's why it's important to know that these people are the ones who profess it. They're the apostates, the ones who claim it, and they're not. It's important to know that. He says, they're prophesying falsehood in my name. I have neither sent them nor commanded them nor spoken to them. They are prophesying to you a false vision, divination, futility, and the deceptions of their own minds. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who are prophesying in my name, although it was not I who sent them, yet they keep saying, there will be no sword or famine in this land. 
By sword and famine, those prophets shall meet their end. The people also to whom they are prophesying will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. And there will be none to, no one to bury them, neither them, nor their wives, nor their sons, nor their daughters, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. There's going to be famine. There's going to be death by sword, which is what Jeremiah has prophesied. They say no, there's peace. And here we see that there absolutely will be. This is serious. This is absolutely serious. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. We're going to read that next week, and that's in Matthew chapter 7. You know what that whole thing's about? False prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing. You say, why, why is this a big deal? Because the word of God that you and I proclaim today to be the truth in the light of our life is under attack every day that we live. Does that bother you? And does it bother me? That the someone, people are attacking the very nature of the Bible, the very character of God. Does that bother you and me? You say, well, it does, but what's the big deal past that? Well, because it's attacking the church. There are brothers and sisters across this world, across this planet that are under attack, and they need to know that people are praying for them, and they need to know that the same thing that you and I need to know tonight, that there's one place to have the sword that we can attack and fight back. It is the Word of God. It's that serious. And you know what? It can attack this church as well. Who knows what the attacks will be in the next weeks, months, years? We don't know. That's why it's important to know the truth, to fight for the truth, to contend for the truth. But we don't, can't do that if we don't know the truth. It's vital. This should wake the Christians up. This is a war that we fight, and we will fight until we are out of this world. God takes the wrath and the punishment of these people very seriously. And we should take what they're doing serious as well. We move on to Jeremiah. I want to go to chapter 28, and then we'll come back. And yes, if you just hold on, we'll be in Jeremiah 29, and we may even cover that most misused verse in the Bible. I know the plans I have for you. He really does love me. He's got great plans for me. And he does. All things are working out for good. But that's not the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. So let's look at chapter 28. If you have the NASB version, you're going to see it says, Hananiah's false prophecy across the top of your page. Jeremiah had prophesied in chapter 25 that this exile, this, they would come and they would be taken. We know it was in two waves. In 597 B.C., the first round uh, came into, uh, the Babylonians came into Jerusalem and they took some of the finer men, some of the smarter men, such as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They took out some of the, the higher, quote-unquote, citizens, and they took them to Babylon in 597. But then, because they didn't repent, in 586 B.C., the temple was destroyed, and they were sent into the final part of their exile. And Jeremiah prophesied that they would be in exile for 70 years. 70 years. He's going to tell them, listen. And we see this in, in chapter 29, but he's going to tell them, 
You're going to be there for 70 years? Build a house, live in it, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, become fathers of sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. He's telling them that you're going to be there for a while, so know that. That's what Jeremiah had told them. And what's interesting is when you see Daniel praying in that prayer in Daniel 9, he's reflecting back on the prophecy that Jeremiah had spoken in chapter 25 of Jeremiah, that they would be there for 70 years. That's a bad message, isn't it? Not only did you not repent, but you're going to be now exiles for 70 years to the Babylonian captivity. But here comes Hananiah, don't worry. That's not a popular message. 70 years, that's not good. I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. So here comes Hananiah. And what does he do? He says, Jeremiah's a liar. And Jeremiah would do synax. He would do things and he would act things out as object lessons to show uh, these prophecies. And one of the things that he did is he put a yoke around his neck to show that, that they would be yoked under the, the bondage of the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And in this, you're going to see what happens. But listen to the words of the false prophet versus the words of the true prophet. Jeremiah says 70 years, and let's read in chapter 28. Now in the same year, in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the fourth year, in the fifth month, Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet who was from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. See, he just spoke on behalf of the Lord, didn't he? Do you know what that is right there that you've just witnessed that we have to be very careful of? How many times have you heard this? Don't say G-O-D because that's taking the Lord's name in vain. We've, we've heard that, right? Oh, you just took the Lord's name in vain. And we, we should be upset about that. It should be a big deal. But that's not the only way we can take the Lord's name in vain. If you study this out, if you say the Lord has said this, you speak on behalf of the Lord and what he says, and it is not true or of the Bible, what you've just been guilty of is breaking the third commandment, thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. So you just heard him break it right there when he says, thus says the Lord of Israel. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And if you know anything about the worthiness and the holiness and the sacredness of the name of God, let us never utter anything out of our lips that ever defiles, that ever lessens, or does not give worth to the name of Christ. Let everything that comes out of our mouth be to the glory of His name. If you remember the Lord's Prayer, what does He say? When you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can tell a lot about a Christian by how they use the name of God. It tells a lot about a person. Because the weight and the merit and, the, and the, the majesty that you put in his name tells you how much you really think about him. Let us never be people that say, well, God said this in his word and it not be. Or even worse, say, God told me this. Spoke to me secretly. This is what he said. If it's not in the word, then it doesn't hold that merit. Let us be very careful. 
He says, within two years, I'm going to bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house. So not 70 years like Jeremiah said, just two. Which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried to Babylon. I, I am also going to bring back to this place Jeconei, the son of Joachim, king of Judah, and all the exiles of Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and in the presence of all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, may the Lord do so. May the Lord confirm your words, which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all the exiles from Babylon to this place. Yet, hear now this word, which I am about to speak in your hearing, in the hearing of all the people. Jeremiah wished that that would have been the case. Amen. I hope it is the case. I wish these people would come back in two years. I weep for these people. I care for these people. But that's not the message that is true. So he says, listen up. The prophets who were before me and before you from ancient times prophesied about many lands and against great kingdoms of war and of calamity and of pestilence. The prophet who prophesies of peace when the word of the prophet comes to pass, then that prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet and broke it. You see, there's the sign act that he was doing. He had a, the yoke around his neck as a show that they were going to be under the yoke of slavery for 70 years to Babylon. And this Hananiah comes and takes that off of Jeremiah's neck and breaks it. Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, Even so will I break within two full years the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the necks of all the nations. Then the prophet Jeremiah went his way. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah, the prophet had, had broken the yoke from off his neck of the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Go and speak to Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made instead of them yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations that they may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. And I have also given him the beasts of the field. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has, sent, has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth. This year you are going to die, because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah the prophet died in the same year in the seventh month. He lived two more months. He prophesied that he was going to come back and they were going to be restored in two years. He didn't even make it two months. And he was removed from the face of the earth, because the Lord does not take, seri or he takes seriously, and he does not take kindly to people speaking his name with lies and false things running rampant today, isn't it? Does it bother you? Should. Does it bother you? I bo Let me tell you, this, if, someone, if I knew someone was speaking ill about my family, I, that would bother me. I love them. It would bother me. It does bother me when it happens. But what does it do to our souls when someone speaks falsehoods against our Savior? Does that bother you? Does it bother me? Does it bother you when it leaks in the church and attacks the church? It should. God finds no pleasure in this. There's, there, there's nothing in this that's a lighthearted matter. There's nothing in this that's like, oh, it's no big deal. Let's let it slide. No, 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 no. 
This is serious. I hope you've just in the verses we've seen here, it's a serious matter that's going on. Then we turn the page to, or we don't turn the page, next chapter, 29. Now, there's a letter going to be written to the exiles that are in Babylon. Jeremiah's writing to these people. The first few verses there I read earlier about taking families and and planting gardens, eating the produce. And then in verse 8 and 9, look what he says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. There's even false prophets in the middle of their exile in Babylon. Don't listen to them. For, the prof- for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. There it is again. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. 70 years. And then here it comes. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. He's talking to the exiles there. Tell them they're going to come back. Yes, we all prosper in this world if we're children of God. He works everything out for our good, but we may have a life full of heartaches. We may struggle for every second that we live here, but our prosperity is not in our wealth, in our health, or any of those things. Our prosperity is in the treasure we have in this earthen vessel and in the treasure we have waiting for us in our final home. He goes on to say this, and I want to draw your attention to verse 24, because there's another prophet that he singles out here. Shemaha. I hope we don't have to say that very often, because that's just tough. The Nehemite, you shall speak, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have sent letters in your own name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest to be the overseer in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and in the iron collar. This false prophet is writing letters back to Jerusalem, writing letters back to those people. And he's saying, listen, the things that Jeremiah said, the things that these people said, they're not true. God has told me that I'm going to be in the head of this now. I'm going to be the overseer of this. And any madman that prophesies opposite of what I say, put him in the stocks. That's a pretty serious charge. Jeremiah did end up in stocks. Got threw down into a pit too. He lived a hard life. But this was to what he was appointed before he even took a breath in this earth. He goes on to say, he says, Now then, who, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anoth who prophesies to you? For he has sent us into Babylon, saying the exile will be long. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah the priest, read this letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemana the Nehalamite, because he has prophesied to you, although I did not send him. And he has made you trust in a lie. Do you see the theme? They tell you what you want to hear. That's not the truth of the word, and they make you believe a lie. That's their MO. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm about to punish him and his descendants. He will not have anyone living among this people, and he will not see the good that I'm about to do to my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against the Lord. Do you see the end result always? 
It's not, it's not, it's not something that we're to take lighthearted. It's everywhere. 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, it's present. And we see it today. I want to draw your attention now back to Jeremiah 23. I told you we're going to be in the Old Testament reading that word that Peter confirmed to us today as the prophetic word made sure. These words that Jeremiah spoke at the coming of Christ, it was that prophetic word made sure. Listen to what it says. Jeremiah chapter 23. Starting in verse 9. False prophets denounced. Let's read some of this and get the feel of it if we can. It says, As for the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I have become like a drunken man, even like a man overcome with wine. Because of the Lord and because of His holy words, for the land is full of adulterers, for the land mourns because of the curse. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up. Their course also is evil, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are polluted. Even in my house I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their way will be like slippery paths to them. They will be driven away in the gloom and fall down in it. For I will bring calamity upon them. The year of their punishment, declares the Lord. Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and they strengthen the hand of evildoers, so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and their inhabit and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. From, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. Let me just stop there. Do you see this rampant today? How many sermons can you get and look into these false prophets and teachers and, and, and just professing preachers, etc.? How many times have you heard this? What's your vision? You've got to have a vision. Oh, it's all in the vision. People hate you because of your vision. That's why they hated Joseph, right? They hated Joseph because he had a vision. They're going to hate you if you have a vision. Don't let that stop you. It's all about the vision. It's all about their vision. It's all about their words. It's all about things that are not in line with the Word of God. If you look at that term, without a vision, my people perish. If you translate that word all the way back to the original meaning, that means without a revelation. That means without a word. Not as a, I'm going to dream a dream and it's going to come to pass. Without, a, without the revelation of God, without the instruction of God, the people perish. They run astray. There's no restraint. It's the imagination. It's the, it's the futility of their minds. They dream this up. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. As for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of their own heart, they say calamity will not come unto you. And we can continue to read all this all the way through chapter 23. It talks about how he is coming against these evil doers and these false prophets. But let's look towards the end of the chapter for time's sake here. Look what it says. Let's look in verse 32. 
Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led, them, led people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor did they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. Now, when this people or the prophet or a priest asks you, what is the oracle of the Lord? Then you shall say to them, what oracle? The Lord declares, I will abandon you. That's the oracle. I'm going to bring this upon you. Then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say, the oracle of the Lord, I will bring punishment on that man and his household. Thus will each of you say to his neighbor and to his brother, what has the Lord answered or what has the Lord spoken? For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord, but every man's own word will become the oracle. You see what just happened? You quit, quickly turn from the truth of the word that we talked about the first service. And now the oracles and the commands and the truth of God, they don't rest in the truth of God anymore. They rest in the oracles of everyone's own opinion and their own thoughts. <coughs> We see that happening today. We see it happen in the Old Testament. We see it happen in the New Testament. It's happening today. It's going to happen in 100 years if we're still here. That's why Peter did what he did today. This is the prophetic word made sure. This, you would do great to pay attention to this as a light in a dark world, leading you until the morning star arises in your heart, because in this dark world, you're going to run into these people who attack you and attack the church. And if you're not careful, you're going to want to go into your own cleverness and your own thoughts and your own minds. And if everyone starts doing it in their own opinion, then every oracle is going to be from their own person. But the oracles and the truth, where does it rest at? Right here. This is the opposition to the enemy. It's right here. This is the theme. You see this all through this book. He says, but every man's own word will become the oracle, and you have perverted the words of the living God. Mm. Can you imagine that? Perverted the words, the pure, the holy, flawless words of God. They don't care. They don't care. They're all about themselves. They do it for profit. They do it for greed. They do it for power. They do it because they are not regenerate in their heart. They do it. You want to know why false prophets do this? Because they are not regenerate, and they hate God. That's why they have no problem perverting it. It says this, they, Thus says the Lord to the prophet, What the Lord has answered you and what has the Lord spoken? For if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely thus says the Lord, because you have said this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent it to you, saying you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. Now listen to how this ends. Therefore, behold, I will surely forget you and cast you away from my presence, along with the city which I gave you and your fathers. I will... Put an everlasting reproach on you and an everlasting humiliation which will not be forgotten. You think God takes it seriously? Perverting the word of God. Theonoustos, God breathed. Speaking in the name of the Lord. I think he takes it pretty seriously. And we should too. Again, how do you know where the lie comes? How do you know what they're saying is false? How do you know? How do you test that? Again, it sounds like a broken record. It sounds so just simple. You test it with this. It's the word of truth versus the word that's not true. It's the word of hope versus the word of despair. It's the word of death versus the word of life. There's a contrast in the two. It's the word of your opinion versus the word of the all-knowing God. 
You see, there's a contrast that's going on here. And this is why we must know it, cling to it, and fight with it for all of our breaths. One more text I want to bring you to is Ezekiel chapter 13. The, the last two verses there that I wrote in Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18, uh, that is the seriousness of being a false prophet or speaking falsely on the behalf of the Lord. It, it, those verses and sections of Scripture tell us that how will you know that it's true? Well, it says that every word that comes out of the mouth of God to His people will come to pass. The prophetic word made sure. Everything Isaiah said, count it, it's going to happen. True, come to pass. Jeremiah, same thing. Joel, all these things, all these people. It's a prophetic word made sure. And the severity of speaking falsely or proclaiming things that are of the Lord, or speaking in His name and it not come to pass would cost you your life in the Old Testament. Now, I ask you, does God think it's serious? Do you? Do I? It's coming. You live long enough, you stand for the truth, this is coming against you. What do we do? You know it's coming. We've used this example so many times. If I said to you tonight, when you go home, someone's going to come and try to break into your house. What are you going to do? You're going to go to sleep? You're going to just put your weapons in the trash? I don't need them. Or are you going to stand with all your guard? Stand with all your might. Be prepared for when that attack comes. He would do everything he could to defend that attack. Be ready for that. The Bible's warning us there's people coming after the church. You say, well, I don't know how to prepare myself. That's what we talked about all morning, early afternoon, right here. You want to prepare? Right here. You want to have the weapon that you need? Right here. How do you know it's false? Right here. How do you know it's true? Right here. We can't say we care and care less about picking that up. Can't do it. That's what we're called to do. You see why Peter wrote what he wrote by the leadership of the Holy Spirit this morning, leading right into this section. Ezekiel chapter 13. Let's read this and wind down. False prophets condemned. Then the, Lord of the, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy from their own inspiration, listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, woe to the foolish prophets who are following their own spirit and have seen nothing. O Israel, your prophets have been like foxes among ruins. You, sh you have not gone up to the breaches, nor did you build the wall around the house of Israel to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. This is the theme, and I want you to see this as it unfolds. I'm not going to bring commentary through all these verses, but I want you to see what's going to unfold. They use this imagery of the wall, a fortress. And these false prophets, these people that proclaim to be Christians that are not, speaking biblical words, Clever words, but twisting them. This imagery comes as they are building this wall of protection around the people to which they speak. Promising them security, promising them peace, promising this. This would shield them from whatever's coming, from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God, whatever it may be. And, and this is this, this wall that they're erecting. But look what happens to this wall. It's not a real wall of protection. It's not a real wall of fortress because the only wall of fortress and the only place of refuge 
is behind the Word of God. Listen to what happens to this wall that they think that they're building. And the people that are listening to this message think that the wall is going up to keep them safe. Listen to what happens. It says that they build a wall around the house of Israel and to stand in the battle on the day of the Lord. Verse 6, they see falsehood and lying divination who are saying the Lord declares when the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope for the fulfillment of their word. Did you not see a false vision and speak a lying divination when you said the Lord declares? But it is not I who have spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken falsehood and seen a lie, and therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. So my hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will all have no place in the council of my people, nor will they be written down in the register of the house of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel, that you may know that I am the Lord God. It is definitely because they have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. And when anyone builds a wall, behold, they plaster it over with whitewash. So tell those who plaster it over with whitewash that it will fall. A flooding rain will come, and you, O hailstones, will fall, and, o violent, and a violent wind will break out. Behold, when the wall has fallen, will you not be asked, where is the plaster which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a violent wind break out in my wrath. There will also be in my anger a flooding rain and hailstones to consume it in wrath. So I will tear down the wall which you have plastered over with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation is laid bare. And when it falls, you will be consumed in its midst and you will know that I am the Lord. Thus, I will spend my wrath on the wall and all those who have plastered it over with the whitewash. And I will say to you, the wall is gone and its plasters are gone along with the prophets of Israel who prophesied in Jerusalem and see visions of peace for her when there is no peace, declares the Lord God. What happened to that wall? Come crashing down, didn't it? There's no fortress in the words of the false prophet. There's no fortress. There's no peace. There's no rescue. There's no joy. There's nothing in the words that are not coming from God. They can only be found from the source of life. And that is God Himself. You see how many people are wanting these words to be true from these false teachers and self-proclaiming Christians. They speak a good message. They speak things that people want to hear. And so many people are wanting those words to come true so bad so they'll have a better life in these temporal areas. And they think that they're hiding behind this wall. And what they're doing is they're building their foundation on the words that are not of God, but of the enemy. And this flood came. And this hailstone came. And this wrath came and knocked the wall down, didn't it? Real quickly, we'll end in a New Testament verse, which we'll be at next week. Chapter 7 of Matthew, which if you, we're not going to go up into verse 15 because that talks about false prophets. We'll save that for next week. But what's amazing is right below the section on false prophets, and not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my Father, the ones that Christ knew. Some would say for now. I would be one of those who would say that.
But look what's right after that. What did you just hear? The words of the falseness is like a pretend wall that you think you have refuge in, that you think you have comfort in, that you think that you've got it figured out, and you stand in all pride and all arrogance and all assurity that the words that are being spoken will bring you safety. And right after this indictment of false prophets, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, on, listen to this and see if you can connect what we just read. Therefore, anyone who, what, hears the words of mine. There's the compare and contrast, right? The words of God versus the words that aren't. And acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell. Here comes the rain. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears the words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And it fell. And great was its fall. You see, one foundation is on the word of God. And one is not. The Bible is the word of God. The prophets in the Old Testament still speak. The apostles in the New Testament still speak to us today through His Word. That is the Word of truth. And if it doesn't match the Word of God, then it is false. It is not of God. And it will lead you empty and hopeless and despair with no refuge. And that ground will simply, quickly fade out from underneath you. And if that's the way you end your life, judgment and wrath. And the people who are leading these people astray, as we're going to read in 2 Peter chapter 2, they have a judgment and a wrath that's being reserved for them. Reserved for them right now as we speak. That with the fury and the wrath of God will be poured out on them forever for perverting, distorting the perfect, flawless words of God. Do you see the seriousness of this? I hope we do. Jeremiah and Isaiah knew the importance of it. They dealt with it every day. The apostles in the New Testament, they dealt with it all the time. And more and more as we stand for the Word of God, we're going to fight with this. We're going to fight with it. We have to be ready. We have to know what the truth is so we can be able to, to call it out and to rebuke it and to stand firm in what is truth. That's us. If we, can't, we can't defend it if we don't know it. We must protect it, defend it, guard it, the Bible and the church from the greatest threat that we have. One of the greatest threats, at least, false teachers, false prophets, apostates and heretics who claim they're Christians, but they're not. And let me say this. There's a difference. Let me make this clarification. There's a difference in being misled. There's people who I believe, again, let's say this from the Arminian view, who I believe are Christians. I know they're Christians. I believe they are an error in how they interpret the Scripture, and I think when they teach, the majority of them do not purposefully, intentionally try to lead people astray. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about false prophets in this sense. Because if you look, the false prophets that we're talking about are those who claim to be Christians that are not. Now, there are people that distort it on purpose. They're not Christians, and they try to dismantle the Word of God. There's a difference. 
But those are threats. The words of God have been under attack since the garden. We mentioned that today. And what this comes down to in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, today, God's word versus the words that are false, it comes down to this. It's the words of lies versus the word of truth. The words of freedom versus the words of bondage. And the words of life versus the words of death. And even though it's been under attack from the garden, and in the Old Testament and the New Testament and today, here's the hope that we have. And here's the assuredness that we have. That no matter how long it's under attack, we can set our sights to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, that says the grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, let us understand the seriousness of your word. And Lord, let us be ready to defend it at all costs. Let us be able to defend it with all of our might. Lord, and let us be on guard. Let us be diligent to know your word and to be on guard when there are blatant attacks on doctrine and on your deity and on your word. Father, let it be a concern in our lives. Lord, let us not walk out of this place indifferent. Let us not walk out of this place with a casual attitude with this. Lord, let it burn in our souls as we are defending the truth of your word. And we are defending you. We're defending your gospel, Lord. It's the only truth. And let us defend it. Let us know it to be able to defend it. And Lord, we thank you that we didn't hear tales and myths and fables that changed our life. We heard the word of the living God. We heard the words that speak life and, and truth into our souls. And Lord, let us remember that even though we may be under attack, and even though we may feel alone sometimes, or like the minority, Lord, let us know that we have a safe place to run. Every word of yours has been tested, and it is a safe place to run for all who put their trust in your word. All your scripture is inspired by you, and it stands forever. It's our sword as we fight this world and the darkness that we live in. So, God, we thank you for your true word. We thank you for your holy name, and let us defend it and honor it with all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.